It's another Tuesday evening on 97.3 City FM. And guess what? It's time for us to talk technology. This is City Trends. My name is Philippa Sean and City Trends is sponsored by First National Bank. How can we help you? On the show today, the command and control nature of education, excuse me to say, is old school. Like, it sounds like what? Nine, it sounds like what? 1115, the year 1115. That whole control, the command and control. And if you look at it, in our classrooms, the teacher is in command, control. Hey, do that. Okay, you scale it up to the district level. The district director of education say, hey, no, 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 no. We don't allow this, so you cannot do it. So the teacher is under command and control. Yes, indeed. Cecil Nutako joins us to talk about educational technology and everything else um, involved with that. He's been deeply involved with that space for quite a while. And he'll be sharing some nuggets of wisdom with us on the show today. I look forward to it. I hope you do too. But you can be a part of the show by doing something very, very simple. Send us a WhatsApp message on our WhatsApp number 0549986996 or alternatively, send a message on Twitter by using the hashtag C-I-T-I-T-R-E-N-D-S. Yes, indeed. Hashtag City Trends. Well, if you're ready, let's get straight into the show. Well, you're still tuned in to 97.3 City FM. This is City Trends. This is the show where we have relevant conversations with the people who move the tech industry and keep it running in Ghana. And then sometimes we try to reach across the divide and across the continent of the world. Today, our focus is on educational technology, edtech, as most people like to call it. And the one man who has been, for want of a better expression, at the forefront of driving the EdTech um, conversation in Ghana is my guest on the show today. He is a strong believer in educational technology, has been a strong believer for several years, has been a proponent of educational technology for so many years, and he's been dedicated right from day one, right from the very first day on my first interview with him. Um, he's been dedicated to the cause all through till now. Currently, he's in he's involved in a number of things, but clearly his spirit and his soul is still within EdTech. And it's such a pleasure to have Cecil and Nutaka join us on the show. Cecil, thank you so much for making time to join us on City Trends. Thank you very much, Philip. Nice to be here again. It's been a while. 
<laughs> yes, it, it <laughs> has. Um, COVID, COVID, COVID has, um, has, has done its worst. And I remember the last conversation that um, we had, um, especially with Michael as well, where we're talking about the, um, the, the, where, we, where we are supposed to go next with regards um, you know, technology and its integration with education. We, we touched on quite a lot. We touched on a, a number of problems that were glaring at us. You put forward a lot of propositions about solutions. Now, the pandemic has been with us for quite a while. We've seen it, you know, manifest itself in a number of variants. We are currently battling with a Delta variant. But from an educational standpoint, where do we stand with regards what happens now to education? Considering everything that we talked about a couple of months ago with regards to the changes that need to be made with regards to our educational system, where do we stand today? Um, from 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 an educational technology point of view, and from an advancement of education in in its broad um, understanding. All right, thank you very much. Uh, for 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 where I sit, and then <laughs> from my experience, uh, I think where we stand is that we can no more pretend all is well. You know, for so many years we've been pretending, oh, uh, to fix itself. You know, we are the best in the sub-region. Everybody comes here for the education. Uh, it, 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 our system produced the best people. Uh, our system has produced the greatest lawyers. Uh, now, where we stand, we are beginning to agree, to disagree that we have a lot of work to do. The past glories are no more relevant. We need a reset. We need a reboot. And I'm glad everybody around the table is beginning to appreciate and realize that. And I think that's a good thing because if you agree that you have a problem, then you are more open to solutions and then finding ways to get out of the problem. So for me, that's where we are. We, we are all looking for solutions. And I think from the politicians, from the what, uh, technocrats, teachers, students, school owners, everybody is looking for what will work because we all have realized that what we have is not adequate going forward. So that's where we are as a country. It's, it's, it's one thing to understand that there's a problem. It's another thing to be open to the changes. I mean, yes, we could be looking for solutions, but how open are we to these changes that currently exist? Because Clearly, we are not going to reinvent the wheel because, I mean, from everything I've seen with, you know, e-campus and all these other um, edtech solutions that we have across the country, we are not going to reinvent the wheel. But in terms of scalability, in terms of adaptability, in terms of agility of deployment, how open are we to, you know, opening up the next phase of education in Ghana? So from from the regulators or from the government's uh, point, right? How I see it is that they are open. They are, they are pretty open. Uh, compared the situation now to, or their openness now to maybe five years ago, I'll say now they are maybe 75% open, whereas five years ago, they were around 45% open. So they are open to make those 
difficult decisions and difficult adjustments. The challenge, however, is because the opportunity of, of being open was you know, kind of accelerated by the pandemic, the needed investment or the level of investment that is required to drive this adaptability and our skill is becoming a bit difficult because clearly there are a number of different fronts that are competing for the same resources. There's healthcare competing for the same resources. There's infrastructure competing for the same resources. You know what I mean? And because five years ago, there was not a very clear plan to go scalable with new technology in education, it's becoming a bit difficult to allocate resources to drive that acceptability. So the willingness is there, but then clearly the resources are scarce. So if we were in a utopia environment where we had infinite resources, uh, I'm sure we would have moved way, way faster. But then we have to find the resources so that we can get this change done once and for all. From a private sector point of view, some of well, us- where, where? Right, right, continue, continue. Yeah, so from the private sector point of view, some of us are excited and worried at the same time. Excited, one, because we've been, uh, let's say we've been vindicated, like we've been saying this since 2003. Everybody thought we were talking some sci-fi, where we watched too much sci-fi or we're just out of this world, you know what I mean? And now we've been vindicated that, look, if you had listened to us, what, 13 years ago, things would have been better. So yes, that makes us feel like, okay, we didn't miss the boat. But then we are worried, private sector, we are worried that we as private sector do not have the capacity to scale this at the scale at which we need it to impact those who actually need it. All right. So if you notice, most of the uh, most of the players in edtech were probably hovering around an Accra startup, more or less, than a bit of Kumasi and a bit of Takradi. Uh, by my own village in Jalukope, I'm yet to get ten users, but those are the guys who actually need this thing. But as a private sector practitioner, I do not have the capacity to extend electricity, to extend internet connectivity to provide uh, smart devices, you know what I mean? To provide what physical centers where they can meet in case they have fault on the devices to get a repair, to do some face-to-face. -face. So that level of what? Skill cannot be financed by the private sector. So we need to have a partnership here. We need to find a way to make some form of a PPP, you know, work so we can get this at scale. And 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 it is it is the nature of that partnership that often becomes becomes a challenge, um, clearly because it's not as if this is the first time we are realizing that that partnership is important. This is not the first time we are realizing that the private sector can't finance the expansion or the revolution of education or the evolution of education in the way that it's supposed to be. We know we know these facts already, but it's the nature of the collaboration between the private and the public sector. That has always been a problem. The choice of which vendor, for example, to go with, who will provide this and who will provide that, that has always been the challenge. And for me, it, it makes me wonder, when are we going to get over that challenge? Because it's been a number of years of us discussing that challenge. So when are we going to get over that challenge? Because if that challenge is not overcome, we are going to go back to ground zero, square one. 
<laughs> I, I do agree with you. Sometimes I get embarrassed talking about it again. Like, okay, we, we keep saying it, we know. But I think, yeah, in, a, in as much as it gets, like, you know, boring talking about what you already know, we still have to be talking about it. Uh, what I will suggest or my proposal to the stakeholders in this space is for us to, to leverage the telcos. You know, we, as a country, we've been able to scale a number of things thanks to the telcos, all right? For example, we've been able to scale, right? Uh, for, for, for the lack of work, we've been able to bring the on banks to become bankable thanks to the telcos introducing mobile money. I, I, sometimes I think how, how could we have achieved this without the telcos, all right? We've also been able to, to drive what uh, free speech, like people can express themselves, people are able to question policies, question authority, thanks to the telcos that made it possible for us to be on Twitter and Facebook almost 24 seven. They drive that aspect of our society. So the telcos have demonstrated that although they don't have, you know, 100% infrastructure coverage, but at least what they have has been able to drive some critical aspects of our society. Why don't we make a conscious effort to work with the telcos to drive the scale of digital education or the scale of tech or the scale of education? Been, they have been successful at doing it for other sectors. And I'm, I'm saying this from experience because at the peak of COVID-19, around March 2020, when the telcos zero-rated the eCampus IP so that users do not need internet to access eCampus, our subscription base grew by 5,000% in nine days. This is the power of the telcos. Just by announcing that, look, eCampus, just get on it, don't worry about data. So that tells you, and the telcos are almost everywhere, every corner. So can we have a focused conversation? Government, telcos, tech startups. Let's sit, work with GS, of course, that falls on our government, and see how can we intentionally scale this with the help of the telecom infrastructure. So that is my suggestion. And I have tried it, it worked. And as I speak, we are still building our relationship with the telcos to sustain that and even scale it further going forward. But with the, with the third party or the, okay, should I say third party? Because it's a triangle, telco startup, edtech startup, and then government. So we as an edtech startup are engaging telco. If we can get government also to join that table. So we have that triangle, the tripartite decision and come up with a plan that would take us, you know what I mean? from baby steps to giant steps. Because here you are jumping on the shoulders of what? A telecom industry that has over what? Almost 30 million subscribers combined. That's a huge jump if we can get this to work. That's my proposal. And my phone number is public. Everybody can call me. Let's talk about this. <laughs> yes, indeed. Your phone number is public. It's public. But you know, Cecil, Cecil, I mean, once, once it's clear that once you're able to get this to you know, the next phase of the evolution will begin. I mean, once that data barrier is crossed, you know, there's obviously other, you know, considerations and other utilities, access to power to charge up these devices that we typically use to access 
you know, the, the wealth of information that's available. It, it's, it's also clear, so clear that the manner in which we instruct, instruct students has changed. The, the format that should be used to instruct students has, you know, it's changed because, you know, gone are the days when you sit in class and you learn something and it's supposed to be the gospel. Now, any child can come home if their parents has a tablet or a phone, can get access to a wealth of information from everywhere. And this information sometimes changes by the day, you know? So, I mean, and I'm, I'm also conscious of the fact that it's not every child across Ghana who would have access to that wealth of information. But like you said, once we cross this barrier of data access, it, it kind of makes the process a lot easier to execute. But I mean, that is that is where we want to get to. Let's backtrack a little and try and find out for you, what is this obsession with educational technology? Where, where, where did this obsession even start from in the first place for us to get into these conversations of revolutionizing and evolving the way that the educational system is supposed to be? Okay, <laughs> all right, so. Now, just, just a quick one before I go into the personal thing, right? Uh, just so the listeners don't lose hope. The telco proposal I'm giving, it's not going to solve it 100%, but it's going to help us kind of narrow down on where to change things in a bespoke manner. Once you take the data barrier away, we can track. So why is it that only what 2% of the maybe 100,000 learners in Bogatanga were able to access EdTech or eCampus in six months, whilst there's no data problem. Then we are beginning to narrow down. Oh, this group of people is because of electricity. Oh, this people is lack of access to what, digital devices. Oh, this people is access to maybe what, uh, whatever that might be, then we can narrow down and begin to get the necessary partnerships with the UNESCO, the African Development Bank, the IFCs, who are willing to help, but you need to go to them with data. That look, I have data that proves that out of 100,000 people that could have been on this, only 2% got there because of A, B, C, D, then we can solve that one too and move forward. So rest assured, this formula has a 90% chance of working. Now, back to why I get so, so bored up about education. I think the truth is that uh, the system made me look, for the lack of a better word, made me look unwanted. You know, when I was, that's in 2002, when I, I failed my senior high school, that time we call it SSC. Hey, and by the way, they started yesterday. The WASI started yesterday, right? So that's quite a cool coincidence. When I failed that exam, uh, the way I was treated at home and in the society, I didn't like it. It was as if I've committed some crime. It was a disgrace. I write the second time, the deck, you know how that works. And I failed again. And I did the third one and I failed again. So at the point, it felt like, so why am I on F? Why am I on this planet? What, what, what can I do? It's like nobody, you're just useless. You're a waste of money. You're a waste of ritual. Even the oxygen you are breathing, you are wasting it. You're just a failure. And I couldn't stand that. I'm like, it's not my fault. It's the system. 
And nobody would take that. Like, what do you mean by the system? Why don't you want to see Auntie Amerson? He's going to take you are here. Useless guy. I'm like, oh. how can I prove to my mom, especially, and my immediate family that it's not me, it is the system. So that became my life goal. I'm like, okay, I'm going to prove this guy that it's not me. So I started, you know what I mean? I remember I had to beg my mom to get my first computer as a compact. And then I started using Microsoft Access to organize the past questions and make it such a way that when you get it wrong, you know which topic you got wrong so you can improve. And then hopefully if I can do that for myself, then I'll write the fourth one just to please them. Uh, before I knew it, I was selling this program on diskettes in the streets of Takradi in front of internet cafes and communication centers. Uh, so I was making some money. So I realized, okay, this thing can take me somewhere. So I, I didn't go and write the fourth one. And today it's a $10 million valuation company. So it's just crazy. I was just trying to tell my mom that I'm not dumb. And now she knows I'm not dumb, you know, at least uh, folks in MIT and Harvard and NASA invites me to come share my ideas with them. I don't think a dumb person get that kind of invitation. So mom, uncles, aunties, community, thank you for making me find my, my passion. So that's it. That's how it started. And I'm not stopping now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But just I mean, it, 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 didn't, it didn't have to. Uh, just to wrap it up. It didn't up, have to get to that point, right? You know, in 2002, when I failed, failure rates were 34%. Check the current failure rates as far back as what? The very recent one, uh, maybe two years down the line, around 72%. So if I was the problem, why didn't it drop from 34% in 2002 to 6%? My radar went up to 70-something percent. So I've vindicated myself. The system is not designed for some of us who probably learn differently. But I'm happy it's my life goal to try and fix it with the help of the, all the stakeholders. So that's where we are. And I get very passionate about this. I'm even getting goosebumps now. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it's, it's only natural that you get passionate about it because clearly your story is, is not, your story is, is not necessarily unique because quite a number of people have found themselves in exactly the same position where you are, where they know that the thought in their head is legitimate, but then there is a system that is telling them that the thought is not legitimate. And I mean, it, it probably is the same story with most technology entrepreneurs, where they know that there's a solution to a problem that they are seeing, but then the system is refusing to allow them the opportunity to do that. Now, you, you, you spoke about, you spoke about selling the discus the solution, um, selling the discus with the solution that you had found in Takrade. Tell us about the lessons that you learned from building that solution to eventually standing in front of folks at MIT and the like, you know, to tell them about your solution. From the streets of Takrade to the, the halls of MIT, tell us some of the lessons that you picked up, you know, going through those phases of your life. All right. So at the time, I didn't know there were lessons, but you know, down the line, uh, they've been very valuable, especially for the entrepreneurial journey. You know, that thing they tell you at all these accelerators and all these incubators that what uh, product market fit, test the market, test the market. You know, I think I was doing that without realizing it because as, as a minimum viable product that I didn't even know it was called that way, just, you know, having a little Microsoft access program 
You know what I mean? That you save on a, what, a 1.44 megabytes device as a diskette floppy disk. And then, I don't know, I got that courage to just go and sell it to somebody and see if they will buy. They did a remedial school students. And to my surprise, they bought it, go sit in internet cafes, plug it in, do the assessment, and they're excited. And they're like, oh, I want more. And I'm like, okay, then I rushed to go buy more diskettes and give them maybe another four years on the diskettes. Then they go and come like, okay, so I'm getting feedback, you know? And some go like, oh, why don't we have all the, the, the six years on the, the same diskette, like the space. So now I have to think, how do I compress stuff? You know what I mean? Then how do we move to CD-ROMs? So I learned a lot about allowing the users of the product to build their product through you. Don't sit and assume that, oh, this new feature is gonna fix it, no. As very basic as your product is, let the target audience engage with it, you know, fidget with it, give you feedback, you know what I mean? I love feedback whichever kind of feedback, I enjoy it. It's feedback, that's why I just, then you use that to uh, fix the problem, grow. The e-campus we have today was not what I was imagining. It's basically built by our customers. They tell us what will work for them. You know what I mean? Just three days ago, we had this customer that I bumped into and she was complaining, like, look, I, I, I can't log in. I do a password reset, it doesn't come. And I'm like, oh, that's impossible. So. They checked and she had made a little, she added an extra O to her email address. So the password request was going to the wrong email. So that got corrected for her. And then she's like, ah, so if I hadn't met you, there was no way. So oh, there's contact us. I said, no, you need to log in before you see the contact us. So immediately we said, no, okay. Now, before you even log in, right under the forget password, let's put the contact us there so they can tap on it and contact us via Facebook, Instagram, phone call, email, anything. That girl, all right, Nanaya has just added so much value to this product. And I tell all app developers out there, take this, put the contact as right below the forget password because maybe they can't reach you. So there was no way I would have thought of this. So the, the customer builds what they want. And when they own it, they drive it. That has been our success. That's why, you know, although we don't have money to do a lot of billboards, we still have over 40,000 users. So I think that's the trick. And I learned that from the streets of Takradi. I didn't know, but now I can reflect and say, wow. So I was learning this without knowing it. So that's one of the things Takradi gave me. But there are a lot. We can have another conversation on just Takradi alone. That if we, oh, yeah, Abadi. Yes, sir. On the Yatasi part. But still, still on the lessons. I, I would really want you to share some of those lessons with us, some of those lessons that maybe not necessarily on the streets of Takrada, but then along that journey, um, tweaking the product, because I'm guessing that eCampus has been tweaked a lot. Like you said, just what, a couple of days ago, you had to make another tweak to it. Tell us about some of the things that you had to let go of, because you build a solution, you're very proud about the solution, but then at a point you have to let go of some bit of it. Tell us about some of those lessons that you picked up about shedding off some parts of the solution just to make it better for others to use, even though you might not necessarily agree with it at some point. Yes, of course. We had a lot of those moments, right? Yeah. In our ecosystem, they call them pivots, right? So I think our very first pivot was a very painful one. You know, originally, I think around that time, 2004, 2005, the concept of what uh, cloud wasn't there, all right? So 
uh, systems were designed to, to, to work like server client environments, okay? So at the time, Regent University uh, College of Science and Technology was our first, you know, I mean, like university real time, a real environment to test this. So we set up for Regent separately. Uh, we set up for the computer science department in Legon separately, uh, the College of Science and, 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 and I think what, physician or something at the KNUST, we set up separately. So we, before we realized we had about what, seven, eight, nine different setups that we need to be managing separately. So you need to upload content here. Then very quickly, we go overwhelmed like, no, 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 this, this is not sustainable. And it is not today that the first thing that comes to your mind is cloud, AWS. No, it wasn't like that those days, right? So I think we, we had to find a way to pivot and then centralize everything. And that was massive. We had to throw away more than 80% of our existing code and redo everything so we can have a cloud-like product. And I think it did serve us well. This happened somewhere in 2008, 2008, 2009. That transition was very effective. At the point, we had our server at Busy Internet that was servicing the entire world. You know, I mean, thanks to Eric Osiakwine, who gave us that, that, you know, that great, great help at the time to put eCampus on Aquaba server so that now we don't have to be worried about DreamHost and all those guys. And that worked pretty well for three years until we had enough to migrate to AWS and the folks that we are today. So I think it was very strategic for us to realize that Pivot redesigned our code to be able to work in that centralized environment. So when the cloud drive or the cloud hype or the cloud transition happened, it was seamless for us because we had already put in place, you know, code or infrastructure that could allow us to go cloud. So that, that, that was one of the very important ones that happened. The, the final I would like to touch on was like how we had to strip the entire product. I mean, the user experience, we strip it bare in 2013. So after Gimpa in 2012, uh, yeah, we're gonna graduate 2013. I think I had this opportunity to join the Catholic University of Milan, you know, to do my MBA. It was a special MBA. They needed you to have a product and, I was, uh, and then you come and pitch the product that you get in. Luckily for me, I won that pitch. So I got a full scholarship to enter this MBA product. So I was assigned to like three professors, you know what I mean? And these guys asked me, okay, have you done any research on cognitive learning, how the brain learns naturally? And I'm like, no. They're like, okay, so uh, you don't have a product because it's just based on your assumptions. So forget whatever you've done, let's go. Go do a research. And I'm like, uh-uh. Go do a research. Okay. So they gave me access to a lot of journals, a lot of articles, a lot of papers. So six months, I was just doing research on how the brain learns naturally. And what we found out was like, look, no matter how smart or dumb you may seem, you can only absorb process and remember 10% of what you read, 20% of what you hear, 30% of what, what you see, 50% of what you hear and see, 70% of what you, you do, and 95% of what you teach to others. So now clearly the whole user experience we had before this knowledge is bogus. So we have to redesign eCampus again, the whole experience. So today you go to eCampus to take a topic and you, you, there's something to read, listen, watch, practice, discuss, and take a time test. This came out from that research during my MBA. So the discuss is supposed to help you engage so that you can remember 95% of that topic. 
The read, you help you remember 10%. The videos help you remember 50%. So these are serious, painful pivots that you need to accept and execute them. And that has changed a lot from us, for, for us. This helped us to also get a lot of data on behavior patterns and be able to guide our learners you know, better. So with this kind of data, plugging in our AI, which you call Neelay, now can make sense of a lot of things. And say, so, okay, you learn better by video or you learn better by discussions or you learn better through assessment. So there's been gradual, gradual, incremental pivots. So I'll leave it that, I'll leave it at this for now. <laughs> Let's just continue. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, sister. And I mean, it's instructive, you know, about the whole taking on the lessons and then having it influence the final product or the eventual product that you put out there. Um, and thank you, you know, for the lessons as well. Well, listeners, are still tuned in to City Trends on 97.3 City FM. We're having a conversation with one of the, the leaders of EdTech in Ghana, and Cecil Nitako, who is a founder of New Campus, uh, talking to us about um, COVID, the pandemic, post-pandemic, and some of the lessons that he's picked up over the years. Well, Cecil, when you look at what is happening globally with regards the, the the trends of educational tech, you know, what, what, what are the things that tickle your fancy? What are some of the things that really hit you as, you know, brilliant ideas that um, you think we can adapt and, and run with in, in Ghana? So I've been monitoring, you know, because the, the pandemic exposed the entire world's educational system, not just Ghana, not just Africa. Even in Europe and America, there were gaps. All of a sudden, we realized there was not enough content online. I mean, enough relevant educational content online. It was, it hit everybody. We thought, oh, you know, everything was there. So that's one of the things that hit me. And I realized everybody in the ecosystem was struggling to find a way around it. But what, what, amazes, what amazed me was the, the, the creativity of teachers and students and how they got around this. You know, at the point, I was amazed to see teachers use WhatsApp, WhatsApp, so effectively to deliver learning. I'm like, oh my God, who would have thought about this? All right. I was amazed to see teachers, all right, using Instagram to help their students. All right. So all along, the existing technologies that we had could have been shaped in ways to help deliver education. But because there was no pressure on us to take advantage of those things, it didn't happen, all right? But of course, because these tools were not designed originally to aid the delivery of teaching and learning, they can, they can do up to a point. But at least what it means is that we have all the technology we need around us. It is our mindset and how we plan to deliver teaching and learning digitally that needs to be consolidated. So the problem is no more about the technology. It's more about the psyche of we, the human beings that I want to get results with education. So I'll point at one thing that I think if we can work on can help solve this problem. The command and control nature of education, excuse me to say, is old school, like, it sounds like what, nine, it sounds like what, 11, 
15, the year 11, 15. That whole control, the command and control. And if you look at it in our classrooms, the teacher is in command, control. Hey, do that. Okay, you scale it up to the district level. The district director of education say, hey, no, 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 no. We don't allow this, so you cannot do it. So the teacher too is under command and control. Then it comes to the ministry. The ministry say, no, this uh, district, you cannot do this. It is not allowed. So command and control. Then it goes to cabinet. Hey, it's not allowed. Command and control. Why, why, why? It's not working. We've done this since Adam. It's command and control doesn't work. Let's bring you home. If you have a child, and you create this command and control environment with your child, you don't get results. They stop telling you things, and before you know, he has done the wrong thing, and you don't get the right information from them. So command and control, let's find a way to throw it away. But what should we go to? Let's go to a climate, right? Let's go to what? A, a, a climate control, not command and control. So how do we control the climate to allow everybody to work Nobody feels like they are being commanded. Let's command the entire climate and not the teacher, the students, the, the players, no. So to command the climate, I have to make sure there is electricity. I have to make sure there is what? Uh, access to a road, there's a road so that I don't have to walk through water to get to the school. I have to make sure that the space, the spacing is adequate to accommodate the numbers. So let's focus our energies on the climate that makes education possible and control that climate so that things doesn't get out of hand and move away from this direct command and control of the stakeholders or the actors within the climate and ignoring the climate. And before we realize the climate are what degenerated and nothing seems to work and it looks like chaos. So if we can control the climate, we'll be able to leverage on all these existing technologies and existing stakeholders and partners that are there willing to help, they can all have a fit inside the climate. They can have a role inside the climate and then we can have a perfect homogeneous environment to deliver teaching and learning. That's what I'll say. Very, very instructive. Very, very instructive there. Now, moving, moving on with the conversation, um, clearly, there's a lot happening all around us. There's a lot happening globally with regards to education. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've also been involved in very, very much is trying to push the e-campus platform. So I guess this would be a good time to ask for the uninitiated and give us a sense of what e-campus is all about and the potential of e-campus as well. Okay. So thank you for this opportunity. So eCampus can be summarized into three things, three hashtags to be precise. So the first hashtag, learn smarter. So eCampus helps learners to learn smarter by telling them their strengths and weaknesses and making suggestions on how to improve those weaknesses to become their strengths. And then eventually being able to predict whether you're ready for that standardized exam. So the why the WASI that they've started yesterday, if you were those on eCampus three months ago, could have been, could have checked and say, okay, I'm 45% ready for this paper. That means 45, you're probably gonna get somewhere around a C. But if you're like what, 80% ready, yeah, your chances are you're gonna get an A. If you're 23% ready, yeah, you're around D or maybe F. So then you know how to prepare. So that's the learn smarter. We believe by giving 
people this climate to learn in, you know, helps them to learn smarter. Then the second hashtag is employability, right? So what we deem by employability is we're creating what we call the employability score, uh, similar to credit scores for the financial sector. So the idea that's focused on tertiary institutions or students. The idea is right out to get out into level 100, you start taking assessments, you know, employability assessment test so that you build up points, you know, then when you get to maybe level 200, based on the number of points you've gained in various topics and uh, whatever industry, let's say you want to go into the finance industry, so you're taking employability assessment test on finance, we're able to tell that maybe in finance, your strength is in what? Double entry, and then maybe you are weak in maybe what? Uh, financial analysis, so you can improve. You get to level 200, because we do B2B and we have companies that use our platform for corporate training, we are able to recommend you to those companies within our network who believe in the eCampus engine to say, okay, if eCampus says you have uh, 40,000 points on finance and then out of reach, your strengths are these topics. Yeah, we'd want you to come and do some internship at our place. When you do that internship, your supervisor also fills a form to give us feedback on your soft skills, like, you know, presentation skills, attention to details, that kind of thing. Then we add all of that, give it to Nile, which is our AI, to then give you some employability score. So by the time you graduate from the university, you have an employability score that helps companies to employ you without having to do a lot of background checks and all those recruitment expenses. So we're using that to build a pipeline of talent for startups, SMEs, and then what? Big corporations who want to hire talent and want to be able to verify that talent. So that's the hashtag employability. And the hashtag prosperity is our belief that once you get to a point on eCampus, you should be able to trade your points you earn on eCampus for things like what? Mobility, healthcare, entertainment, food, you know, to close the loop. So we're working with brands that believe in this prosperity that look, I've learned, I've, I've, I've put in the effort, I've learned something, I've earned 4,000 points. Look, a brand is willing to take 500 points from that 4,000 points to give me a good experience at the cinema. Why not? Then you can learn to earn more points. So that's what we call prosperity. So if you learn smarter, and your, and your employment is guaranteed with your employability score, of course, what is, is to have a prosperous life. And then, you know, looking at, the, looking at this in the picture of after, if we can create this kind of climate, if we can do the climate control around learning, you learn smarter, get an employability score, trade your points that you earn whilst learning for basic necessities of life. Ah, Africa would be the most interesting place to live. So this is what ECAMP is about. It's about prosperity. It's about making the African proud of themselves, being able to live a prosperous life because they are well-educated and they are, they are talented at what they do and they want this. Just prosper. So that's what we're about. Thank you. So Cecil, one of the things I wanted to find out was it's, it's clear that you have been involved with a number of things that go beyond just education. You've been involved in a number of other ventures and, you know, associated with a number of things in the past. What I want to understand is how important some of these associations and these 
um, interactions are to building the, the vision of who an entrepreneur should be. You know, because sometimes you, you, get, you get so involved with the product that you're building that, you know, everything else, that every book that you pick or every conference that you go to must be about the solution you're building. And how important are some of these other associations that you typically find yourself in? How have they contributed to helping build what you have today? Yeah, that's a right. <laughs> that's a very valid question because sometimes you get you get buried in the maze, you know. But like I said earlier, you are building this product that you because of that you become excuse me say anti so. You are building it for society, and you yourself you are anti so. So who is going to use it? <laughs> you know. So if you are building the product for society. You need to be where society is. You need to hang out with them. It doesn't have to be only about what benefits or what is aligned to your product. Then you are not being a complete or a total human being. Because it to, it to amaze you to know that some of the most effective ideas or solutions to challenges that you, know, you keep pondering about pop up in your head in the most obscure of places, places you never have thought you would get a eureka moment. All right. So those are the things that I have gained from what associating with things that are completely detached from education. But then I go there and I pick ideas that are applicable to education. So it's very important to broaden your engagement with as many, you know, diverse engagement or diverse ecosystems as possible. So I, 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 I would say make it a point, you know, there should be a balance though, because then if you do that too much, then you don't have enough time for the product. But if you see it as a part and parcel of the process, you know, so for us at eCampus, the, the customer is part of the product development process. So you spending time with the customer or with community is not seen as time away from work. It's seen as an essential part of the product development process. So you come back with what feedback. So you just don't go hang out because you know it's part of the process. You're actively asking questions, you know, taking notes, getting feedback. So when you come back to the office or to your code, you can then provide that to help improve the product. So that's how it works for us. And that's why it's become seamless and we don't even we don't even feel like we're doing something extraordinary by combining those two things. That's how it's been working for us. I see. One of the questions that I ask um, my guests um, has to do with the issue of other things that excite you. So which other tech solutions excite you at the moment? And which ones do you wish had succeeded? <laughs> if there are any that come to mind readily. Do you, do you have any tech solutions that excite you currently, which of course are made in Ghana, or are there some solutions that you honestly thought were going to make it that were really, really exciting that unfortunately didn't, didn't make it? Yeah, quite a couple, but <laughs> you know, you, you never quite know what will make it or what will not make it. So it's a bit difficult to say, okay, this particular product couldn't. Maybe for now, they may not be in the limelight, you know what I mean? But uh, for whilst things turn around, they could just be in the limelight again. One of such products 
that I, I had so much hopes for, but I don't know, maybe they're still there and I admire what they're doing, is Snow Code, all right? Snow Code, when Snow Code launched very early, you know what I mean? That for me was revolutionary. I'm like, that's super cool. So I expected everybody to jump on board. I expect all the stakeholders to help them push it, drive it. But it didn't go that, that way. Instead, they ended up having a lot more competition from the stakeholders, creating counter you know, tools to what they do. But they still remain very unique. And, and, and I admire what they do. I, I, I admire what they do. I, I, another one that I think we people are not paying attention to is Nasica, also based in Tadi. It's a very unique fintech, very unique from your usual fintech that you have around. You know, very, very unique fintech. And, and they are integrated into Telegram, uh, Facebook Messenger, and WhatsApp. It's very unique. Unique. You should check them out. <laughs> you should probably invite these guys here. And they have a very different approach to fintech than the, the traditional ones that you see. So I, tell, I tell, see us, tell us about it. Tell us about that solution. So I think, look, I'll get you Raf, so Raf can do justice to it, right? You know, what amazes me about Nasica is the, the, the accessibility to it. You know, you can download their app, you can go to their website, but they found a way to make it like it's everywhere. Are you inside Telegram? You can actually use Nasica inside Telegram. <laughs> you know, that's quite amazing. You can actually use it inside WhatsApp, inside Facebook Messenger, and you get your results. It's, it's, it's more like the, the, the high-tech version of your traditional susu, you know, just to put it that way, very high-tech. So I mean, they, want... they, they, typically, they typically describe themselves as a cross-platform for all things money. Everyday exactly. spending to planning your future exactly. with savings, investments, insurance, to and access to, 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 some, to credit. That's interesting. Very That's interesting. interesting. I mean, so I, I'm helping you... Mm. So, so these are the, the technologies that for you excite you and you wish will be breaking barriers and um, yeah, getting they into... Yeah, Just a matter mm. of time, they would. I would right. be happy if other stakeholders pay attention to them and give them the necessary support they need. Because this is very important. It's very, 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 very important to our ecosystem. You know? And I think the entire national digital agenda, these two startups, we should pay attention to them. We won't regret it. So, uh, Raf and Co, don't worry. I'm going to get a billion dollars soon. Why are you saying, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't we all be excited to enjoy a bit of that? Well, Cecil, it's, it's always a pleasure touching base with you. Thank you so much for all the experiences you shared and, um, and, and, and the insights as well that you provided us on the show today. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. And, uh, we look forward to seeing what the next phase of, of e-campus will be, where we are headed, what lies ahead. We, we can't wait to see what else lies ahead for you. So, so. All right, thank you. If you don't mind, I could just say uh, one word to, to just, you know, people can go home, go, go home with. So Absolutely. There are, Absolutely. There, are, there are three types of people, all right? Three types of people. Those who are immovable. They're immovable. Nothing moves them. Nothing triggers them to change. They're just there. And then we have the movable. Those who see need for change and prepare for it. So they stay in the prepared mode all the time. Like similar to Ghana, we are always preparing. And then we have those who actually move people who take action 
to make sure change happens. This is a window for Ghana to transition from movable to move all the stakeholders. Please, let's take action to make sure change in our educational system happens now. My phone number is still public. Thank you, Philip. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> Always a pleasure to have you on the show. So, so well, listeners, you, you heard from Cecil Nitako. If you want to understand where educational technology is headed, like I said, his number is very, very public. Cecil Nitako, you can find him literally everywhere. Look out for eCampus. You know, hook yourself up to eCampus and let's transform education in Ghana the way we, we need it to be. Um, so, so once again, thank you so much. Well, it has been a pleasure coming on the show. Uh, thank you so much for staying tuned in for your thoughts and your questions that you sent in. And also, a big thank you to the production team for making the show possible. Um, the show will be available as the podcast first thing tomorrow, so please look out for it across all platforms and you can get to download and share with as many people as possible. The show, as always, is sponsored by First National Bank. And we are so grateful for that as well. Well, this is where we wrap up the show. My name is Philip Sean. Till next week, stay techy. City 97.3 More Variety